You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is some of my best friends or Kabbalists. I'm here with Rav Nossen Otteglik in Ashkelon. Nossen is fighting off COVID. <coughs> All right, so... The battle, the battle continues. And I guess there's no greater aid in the battle against COVID, not to sort of like get you depressed and down, uh, is there re- uh, the ability to not only reach out to others through Zoom and other ways to be safely connected to someone, but also to dig in on the Asiyah mitzvahs that you're able to accomplish. I know it's hard. Many of us over the last couple of years in terms of tefillah and, and limud, but Nelson, I know that the topic today is something that COVID and influenza, who knows, I don't even think um, Ebola would stop you from your connection to Tefillin, which is something that you as a sofer and as a Talmud Chochem, as a Makubal, I mean, it wraps all three wound tightly around for you. And I was honored, really, by your interest in sort of the rudimentary discussion that we had about the different types of tefillin, specifically Shemusha Rabbam, which I wanted to put at the table as sort of like this obscure Gaonic work uh, that was seemingly well-known by the Rishonim uh, all the way down to the Rosh, but its uh, format of how the parshios need to be placed in the tefillin Rosh achieved an incredible amount of prominence among the Mukubolim. So after that program aired and, and you listened to it, you contacted me about the idea of giving sort of like a, a greater Kabbalistic tapestry over Tefillin Parshish of Rashi, Rabbeinu Tam, Shemusha Rabba. And since we are a monthly now, Nelson, it's going to be hard, I think, to take the deepest dive possible. But I think that uh, instead of just viewing these as various shitos, to sort of understand what's really behind the different opinions in a way that will affect everyone's Hanukkah's tefillin, that they really understand what's doing, what's going on. I think before we start, I think you'll agree with me, even before either of us knew much about what was behind, we realized the, the solemnity and power that was invested in tefillin as our our fathers uh, gave us the tefillin to wear. It was a bridge into adulthood, but also into something holy. And I, I think that's part of the reason why that even, you know, without people, even people who don't know, realize what that means to, to wear tefillin. That when that child assumes that role, he realizes that there's something May perhaps he'll never comprehend, but something that is crucial and unique to the Jewish personality, maybe more than you know anything else. I don't know. It's it's so intimate. I don't know if there's any other. You know, obviously, people like myself, you know, who have many svarim. You know, you, you put your name in svarim that you're going to lend. I think everybody, and again, this is sort of like a sociological observation that. You put your name on your on your tefillin zekel on your talis zekel, which of course has the tefillin. I think if the, if the zekel didn't have the tefillin in it, the, you know, you wouldn't be so worried. But this is yours. This is your tefillin. This is what your boy can. Even in the common, I wouldn't call it superstition. No, some 
but there's there's something's wrong with you. Something's happened. Events have turned awry in your life. Check your tefillin. Get your tefillin checked. Somehow the tefillin that are munach b'reishecha isn't as the Vilna Gaon said. It's not al reishecha, but it's b'reishecha. Somehow you bond with them, and therefore I think anything that we do today in giving greater understanding of how important the parshiyos are to us, I think will strengthen for every single person, no matter what tefillin he's wearing, his recognition of this mitzvah that I guess, as I was saying, a person sort of senses innately, no pun here, Nate, is innately connected to his shorish neshama. Yes. Well, um, that's true. Part of the reason why people got into the habit of putting their names on their tefillin bags has to do with the fact that a pair of tefillin was really a very, very precious item that was not easy to come by and was not and was not cheap. I mean, a, a good pair of tefillin was a, a masterwork craftsmanship and kedusha and holiness, and and it was probably a, a major major investment for people. Of course, you know, you always had the the cheap knockoff tefillin, which you could get at Macy's and you opened up. You know, yeah. Who knows? Who knows what they're made out of, and who knows who knows what what's in them. However, however, you know, serious people, you know, they always went for the gold as far as the standards of, of uh, tefillin are concerned. By Pshuteyam, perhaps, it, there was less, you know, Zahirus in this thing. And you, and you always have all the Paiskim screaming about how many puzzled tefillin there are and everything. And I, from my point of view, you know, I'm here in Eretz Yisrael, and, and I guess no matter how, I mean, I'm aware of how the standards in the industry continue to grow. The, the average parents film that you have today is a parents film that Moshe Rabbeinu could never even have, have seen. But, I mean, I wouldn't want to categorically say this, but he probably would not have seen these tefillin in his Ruach Nevoah, you know, looking at what kind of film is going to be for Am Yisrael, because these are completely out of the, out of the realm of, of any kind of ordinary possibility for, you know, 500 years ago or, or, or 2,000 years ago. So things keep getting better and better and better in the, in the, in the industry. So from Develop more and more skill. There's hidurim and hidurim and hidurim. A unnecessary hidur from 30 years ago is is now a, a absolute necessity. Hi, by the way, that you went back a couple of hundred years in Baghdad, and the way that they made tefillin, they they came out practically round. And I once saw a pair of tefillin like that, you know, and I couldn't. Where are they getting? What kind of tefillin is this? You know, you old tefillin by from some Spartish family. I mean, okay, you know, you have to give them some credit for uh, trying to do the best that they could, but this they seem to be so utterly puzzled. Anyway, it turns out that the Benish Chai himself was kind of instrumental in getting the tefillin makers of Baghdad to learn new techniques so they can stop making the tefillin the traditional way, even though it was the whole thing was very controversial because basically what you were saying is that all of our ancestors put on these these, these not the you know not kosher tefillin, uh, but it seems to be very nearly the case compared that I saw, I could hardly justify thinking that it was square in any sense, the most colloquial sense, you know. Which is interesting when, when, when you think about it, that we have sort of, you know, our tefillin is probably in, in its externals more mahudar, and yet there's more mahudar tefillin and less understanding of why tefillin have to be the way they are. I have a pair of tefillin, which was made by your friend of mine, and the Haritzim, and this, I mean, there's Gassus Batim, Batim, very, very strong, very solid. The grooves between the chambers of the Shell Rosh are not just grooves, they're actual empty spaces. 
that go all the way down to the to the titur, go all the way down to the base. You know, and it turns out that's really what the what the Gemara describes. That's what that's even what the Mishnah Brewer des- describes in terms of what tefillin should be. This it's not a charitz is not an invisible or or a, or a little scratchy line where the two compartments are pressed together with no space. There's supposed to be a space there, and the space was eliminated essentially when they came up with the idea of tefillin gasos. It was considered worthwhile to lose the spaces because the bottom were so much more durable, and they would keep their square shape much better. So this was considered kind of like a trade-off between squareness and correctness in, in, in some other way. But nowadays, you know, you can have it absolutely square and spaces all the way down to the bottom. You can hold it, fill and rush up to the light, and you can see the light shine through between the bots. wearing to it. And I know, Nelson, you have a, a lot to say about who's looking at who and from what perspective. But if you're wearing the tefillin and someone is looking at you and they would be reading from right to left, uh, although they can't really see inside of your tefillin rosh, Kadesh would be the extreme right, followed by Vayiki Riyacha, which is the next section in the Torah, followed by Shema, which was the next section in the Torah, volume Shemoah. And as the Rambam writes in his Tshuva, that there were Gersoyers that said clearly, Kesidron Shem Ksuvan B'Torah, like the Seder, the way they are written. Uh, and that Gersa indicates that that should be in that direction. Rabbi Nutam, based on his analysis of the Gemara, which I think is a pretty solid one, he has a uh, he has a shita which is known colloquially as Havayos Beemtza, where Kadesh is in the same spot, Koyekiviacha is in the same spot, but the Shema and the Volume Shemoa are reversed. So you actually have Volume Shemoa followed by Shema. That's a very important difference, of course, and. As the Rambam points out, that if you go, it's possible, the, the tefillin, if they are placed in the Shorosh in a different order, obviously the Shorosh has these four compartments, but if the wrong Parsha is, is placed in that compartment in the wrong order, according to Rashi, you would seemingly, again, you, you could maybe enlighten us on this, according to Rashi, you would you'd be wearing puzzle tefillin, and according to time, you'd be wearing puzzle tefillin if you'd be wearing Rashi. You know, I guess we can talk about the Raivat as well, but since the Shemusha Rabbah was really the thing that sort of uh, ignited my interest, considering it was a Gaonic opinion, the Shemusha Rabbah, and again, there's a Machlokas Achronim, what the Shemusha Rabbah means, the Ramami Pano and the Zidichoiver, the Ateris Tzvi. But if we, if we go with the, Ram, the Ramami Pano's opinion, then what we have here is sort of the opposite of Rashi, which means... <laughs> well. Let me take a stab at this, or something nicer than a stab. Uh, <laughs> I heard a word that was said over in the name of, of Rabbi Yashaber Soloveitchik, and I think it's absolutely true. I think it's kind of incontrovertible, you know, what the machlek is between Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam is. So Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam both take for granted that the reality of what's in the tefillin is not really meant for the wearer. In other words, the tefillin don't represent the consciousness of the wearer because if that was the case then the tefillin would be arranged if the wearer had a safer torah in his mind how would he be reading it and uh, the tefillin would follow that order in which case they'd be going from right to left relative to the person wearing the tefillin let me just interpret and that is what i was going to say was the which is the according to the ramami pano yeah which is where if the person i obviously he's not looking at himself but if he's imagining what's on top of his head, 
that's the way he would be reading it. He would be reading it. Right. If I was standing there, let's say, let's say in my mind, I, I, I mean, you can try to do this. It's a meditation. You know, I can sit there in my mind and just reach my mind up into Parsha's Kadesh, which I know is like right over my right brain, which is where it should be because it's Chachma, right? So up goes the mind into the Bayit and it pulls down the Parsha and it unroll it and you, you start to read it, right? Same thing, put it back up there, pull the other one down. Okay, if the Tefillin are your minds, your levels of awareness, right? So that's the way that it should be. Because that's the way that you read the Torah. You read the Torah relative to your own point of view, from your right to your left. But both Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam have in common the idea that the, the tefillin are oriented not towards the person wearing them, but towards the person seeing them. And maybe that comes from the idea that So maybe the tefillin isn't really for you, it's really for the rest of the world. Okay, so it, uh, it appears relative to the point of view of the rest of the world. Now, Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam both have this idea in common. So tefillin does not reflect the consciousness of the wearer. It, it reflects the awareness of the observer. When let's just, you know, say the obvious, the Shemusha Rabba uh, has, in that way, I guess, a more, uh, I guess the approach would be more, natural than the one that you would normally assume that because as i said before tefillin is such a private thing that's connected to you you know you understand although you're not looking at it you feel that his labshus um uh, once we're doing this let's just throw in the other person who most people including gershon sholem and others have extolled and so has the say for emek amelech who was came right before gershon sholem the raivad Bavram ben David Apaskeris, who seemingly in his Hagos on the Rambam also has the sort of an opposite Rabbeinu Tam, right? It's basically the Havayos Be'emtza, but again, from the position of the wearer. Right, not the observer. Let me slice in here and just take a look at like, what's going on with Rashi and, and No, 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 Tam. I understand. I just wanted to say that it's fascinating, and I pointed this out in what's on our platform, the uh, Gaonim platform, we have this rivid Shemusha Rabbah, who I see sort of as you know, a throw to sort of a more Kabbalistic approach anyway. But go ahead, Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam, go ahead. Yeah, Rashi, Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. Let's you know, we'll stick with what Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam both have, in, both have in common, that the tefillin is from the point of view of the observer. But how many tefillin are there? In other words, when you have Toitofois, which according to Rabbi Akiva is tat in Coptic, which happens to be the ancient Egyptian language as it's currently in Egypt, and pot in African, which I guess it would be some sort of African language, maybe maybe Berber or whatever. So Rabbi Akiva was doing his his anthropological studies, and he you know re- realized that uh, that you know tat and pot are are words for the number two. So he's thinking of his tefillin as being kind of like a double duo, which I'm going to get a little bit off the beaten path here, but you know something resembling tefillin were worn by uh, Paro, and Paro in his position as being king of the two Egypts or king of the two lands. So he had two diadems, one right next to the other on his forehead. So it could be that in the Tatpat, you know, in the Tatafais, you actually have an attempt to do the Egyptian adornment twice over, you know, double tag team, destroy them kind of thing. So maybe Rabbi Akiva is being ramus to the idea also that you really have within one set of tefillin, 
you actually have two sub-tefillin. In other words, you have the tefillin of Yitzias Mitzrayim, which is Kadesh V'hayoki V'yacho, and then you have the tefillin of Bias Ha'oretz, which is Shema V'hayoim Shemoya. Now, are these really a continuous sequence that just happened to be with a 40-year break in the middle? Yitzias Mitzrayim and Bias Ha'oretz, and it's really just one sequence, and it really should have been revealed at the same time, because we surely really should have gone straight from Mitzrayim to Eretz Yisrael, and maybe we should have had Matan Torah and the Harabais, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of perushim that go off in that direction. But if that's the case, then Rashi is correct. It's it's really one sequence of four parshias, and then the you know Rabbi Akiva's drush of Tat and Pat becomes somewhat more darshanis, and and somewhat less actually correct. Masha'en Ken, according to Rabbi Nutam there really are completely two sets of tefillin, and therefore they run in opposite directions. Kadesh V'hoyim Shemoya comes from the right, and Shema and V'hoyim Shemoya comes from the left, and they converge in the middle. So it's really two tzvei dinim, you know, it's two concepts of tefillin coming at each other from both sides and meeting in the center. You really see that in Rabbeinu Tam's you know, very workmanlike critique on Rashi. Look in the Gemara. It says, why does that have to say small and yamin and then add two? Obviously, you're coming from two different directions with Shema, according to Rabbeinu Tam, leading from the small of the person looking at it with Kadesh Vayishamo coming from the yamin of the person who is looking at it. So there's, there's much more of a dynamic here. You know, you really have two kinds of tefillin which are set off against each other. So they're not the same thing. Mashainkin, according to Rasha, you're really looking at, at a sequence which is the same thing from beginning to end. I also think that there's, based on what you're saying, it isn't just a convenient way to remember Rebbeinu Tam, Havayo Spemza. In other words, it's actually Havayo. There's actually two separate, almost beings, right? It's Havayo Spemza. Yeah. Let's do a little Kabbalistical stuff over here. Let's, you know, who are the Havayo Spemza? So first of all, Kaddish, anybody who was ever listening to our stuff or that Shtikel Zayar from Pesach should by now know that Kaddish is always Chochmah. Anything having to do with Kedusha has a connection to Chochmah. And Shema has a connection to Tiferes. It's the letter Vav. You know, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, six letters, right at the beginning of the Shema. So the first parsha Shema is definitely letter Vav of Shem Avaya, a.k.a. as we all know, Zeiran Pin. And that means that the Havayas are the Malchuyas, or not the Malchuyas necessarily. The first Havaya is Bina, and the second Havaya is Malchus. So what's happening is you have the Malchuyas that are converging in the middle of Philon of Rabbeinu Tam. And therefore, there's a Tziruf of Shem Havaya that Philon Shel Rabbeinu Tam embodies, and that is Yud, K, K, Vav, where the first K is Bina and the second K is Malchus. And the Zcharim over here, you know, the Partsufim Zcharim, let's say of Chachma and Zeranpin are on the outside. That's Kaddish, that's the Kaddish and Shema. Right, that's the Kaddish and Shema. Havais Bahadodi or Havais Baemtsa is the fact that the two Nekevis are basically connected to each other. Now. Bina and Malchus. Bina and Malchus. And again, we call them Havais, even though it's Vahoya, not Yudke Vovke. Yeah, Bahaya is a tziruf of Yud Kevav. Yeah, right, I understand. But the word also means that it will happen. In other words, it will happen 
when God brings you, and also Vayim Shemoa, which I mean, you can't get more, we say this obviously twice a day or three times a day or four times a day if you say Kriya Shemalamita. That Parsha, I think I agree with you, stands for Malchus more than anything else. The second Parsha of Shema with its graphic description of what human life is and what human, not only potential, but also what will happen when we do Averos and how we get destroyed. The possibility of Golos. That's right. You know? I mean, that, that is our history, volume Shemoa. Shechina Begolusa. Yes. Right. You know, wherever, wherever you have Shechina, you also have a more of a reference to Golos. Even if Baruch Hashem, let's say Golos is not happening, you know, Golos, everybody's been at a tzaddik and there's no, there's no Golos, there's no, but the possibility of Golos is always there. There's always, you know, there's brachas and Golos, and that's the, that's the essence really of, of Malchus. Which shows that despite how horrible the effects are, they are byproduct of us, right? They're a response to what we're doing in this world, which is Malchus, right? That is where Malchus is embodied by the king and punishment, the reaction. So Vahoyim Shemoa, I agree, is like stands for Malchus for sure. Why is Vahoyim Kibiachabina necessarily? Well, it's a bit more hard to say, but Bafashtus, because there's a there's a Bechin of Eretz Yisrael, which is also Eretz Tel Yoyna. And as Vahoyim Kibiachal Eretz Asher, so the, 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 the Eretz. It's not just uh, the material world, and it isn't even Malchus, even though generally Malchus is, is identified with the earth. But there's also a higher earth. There's a higher world. There's there's Olam Haba, which we aspire to. If we get to Olam Haba, then we are released from the fear of Malchus, so to speak. As a matter of fact, part of the Pshat in, in Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin is that Malchus cleaves directly to Bina, which therefore means that the whole fallenness of Olam Hazen has been rectified. So it's like the Tefillin Shal Rabbeinu Tam are much more Olam Habadik Din and much less an Olam Hazadik Din. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, look, reading the content of Ahoy Kiviyacha, right? And, and tell me if I'm starting in the right place. Is that where it starts? Or Yes. Yeah. So you're right, you'd go into Eretz Yisrael, but we, we, we zero in on Peter Rechem, Peter Chamor, and also another version of your children asking you about Mazos, and like a, a, a redescription of history, you know, Bechor seems to be one of the main messages here in this parsha, ending, of course, with the description of Again, I sort of made a drush, but I think good connection between Vayim Shemoa and Malchus. I'm just trying to like tease out of you why the words I just described somehow are the Oil Mabina. You know, it sounds like Bechor and other things. Again, who knows what sort of Ramazim and Sirufi Osius are found there. Yeah, but it has to try to make sense of it on some shot level. First of all, I can always say, look, I don't necessarily know. There's not, not everything is 100% explained, but, you know, you, you have four Parshias, you have four basic parts of him. You do the configuration and there you go. You know, um, uh, but 
the idea being that when you come to Eretz Yisrael, you can actually have a Bechor that is safe. You know, Bechorahs are a big problem in the real world. What I mean by that is, is that a Bechor is somebody who breaks through. He's the first one who breaks out of the womb. And he's the apple of his parents' eye, and he's the only one. So there's a certain element of narcissism being a Bechor. Bechor is a sort of person that can say, you know, Aniva Afsi Oid. Usually Bechorahs go through some kind of crisis when the second child comes along, you know, because suddenly they're not the only one anymore. You know, I, I recall it by myself because I have very strong memories of my childhood. It wasn't such an easy thing. So there's something in that Bechor that breaks through the barrier in order to, let's say, become real or to become manifest that also can be, if taken the wrong way, a break into the other side. You know, if I want to be myself, I have to run away from a Kaddish Baruch Hu in order to do it. Therefore, being the Bechor, being the first one that broke through and is, is now out there, that is something that, can, that really harkens back to things like Shvira Sakelim and broken vessels and traumas and you know, all sorts of things that can happen. So the answer is that the Bechor can become Kaddish because he's born into Eretz HaChaim. He's born into Eretz Yisrael. He's, born, he's, he's, he's being born into Bina, not just out of Chochmah and into the world. He's being born into Bina. So in other words, I think our listeners need to understand that the first parsha Kaddish, also starts with Bechor. That's what it is. Kaddish, we call Bechor, Peter, Korechem, Lihu. And Moshe's elaboration, which is this Foyekibiyacha, is really an explication of how that Kedushas Bechor works, which is the Peter Rechem, Bechol Peter Sheger Behema, Kol Peter Chamor, Bechol Bechor Odom, Bivonecha Tifte. So that's more Bina than Chochmah, because as we know, Bina is Hitrachvut of an idea. You're right, Kaddish is the, the Chochmah of the idea, which just says, oh, you know, every Peter Kol Rechem goes to me. All right, that's fine. Now that's all there is. Whereas the second parsha expands on that idea of Bechor, and as you say, uh, sort of hints to the reality of what a Bechor is in terms of the different types of Bechor, but also does something more than that, which is the Bechor now takes a role in connecting back to the parents. In the first parsha in, in Kadesh, although you know it's mentioned that you know, you're going to do Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, it just says you're going to talk to your son, is what it says. Whereas if the Vahaya the Bechor is more active, more involved, he's going to actually ask you the question, which I believe is that dual nature that you're talking about. The Bechor is, as you say, the apple of the eye, but in a way, he's like a double. He is the Hiskalalus of what the Chochmah and Aben Ima developed, it's expanded, and it's also ready to serve as a model further. And, and that's, in a way, I guess, why Bina is that essential bridge you need to get any further. The Chochmah itself, it's sort of like, it's too beyond. Bina fleshes it out and also readies itself to be the undergirding structure for Zeranpin. And maybe you see that in those psukim as well. 
it's one thing to say, okay, do Bechor, you're going to go to Eretz Yisrael, uh, you're going to have a mitzvah, okay, that's all part of this Chochmah idea, and you'll talk to your kids. It's another thing when you say that the Bechor is, you're really getting practical about what the Bechor is doing, and also, it seems that son that you talked about, <laughs> the one who's going to actually, who is so essential about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is going to say, what's going on? And you're going to tell him, thank you for asking me, but you know what? This is your story. Because, and I'm shechting the Korban Pesach, but I'm also doing the mitzvah Bechor. In the first parsha, Nelson, all you do is tell your kid about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The second Vayikibiyacha actually fuses the Bechor story with Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And in that way, I think it's more Bina-like. I'm trying to piggyback on what I think you were trying to suggest. Yeah. Look, and, you know, in the end, it's, it's simply the fact that there is a context to the existence of the Bechor. Now, the Bechor doesn't come plowing out into space and just stand around looking and seeing, oh, I am the only one. I'm the one who broke through. I'm, the Bechor finds himself surrounded by Eretz Yisrael, surrounded by mitzvahs as you say, called back to communion with his parents, okay, realizing that the fact that I was born first doesn't mean that I transcend my parents. It means that I need to be thankful to them, and I need to be willing to hear the lessons that they teach me. And, you know, in the end, Eretz Yisrael is also a place where I'm going to meet my brothers and sisters. So Bukhar can be a very selfish individual who doesn't care about his brothers and sisters and actually hates them for even being born, or Bukhar can be somebody who is the first among equals and therefore takes responsibility for his brothers and sisters and feels good about that. And that any parent that's ever successfully raised a Bukhar in a family where there's been other children to follow has been able to create this mindset in, in the Bukhar. Look, you know, you're not the only one that's here, but you are the first. And there's a reason why you're, you're the first, because you're going to help your brothers and sisters grow up just like we're helping you grow up. Which is really where Bina comes in. You could have the brilliant architect of Chochmah, but that's what you're talking about is Bina. And maybe, again, we were talking about that bonding of Bina and Malchus. And that's, again, we're trying to explain. Because remember, and the, the mitzvah of Pidyon, that a, that a Bechor has to be played to himself, which is kind of crazy because, you know, at that, at that point in history, the Bechorus is still doing Avoidus. So, and why, you know, it's not like after the choice of the Levium that the Bechor had to be played to himself so, so he didn't have to work in the Mishkan. Here, the, the Bechor was the Kayan, or, you know, it was, it was, it was something. Or maybe higher, as Asperno says, in such Kedusha, he couldn't even do Avoidus. There was a level of Kedusha that was so high. Okay, what I'm going to try to say here is that since a Bukhar has a part of himself that has a tendency towards not caring about others and like being narcissistic because I'm the one who broke through, I'm the one who escaped, I'm the one who got out. And this is what needs to be nifta. And I was like, you know, when you're poida, you take the value of this part of yourself and you, and you, you give it to somebody who can handle it. So you give it back to its shayrish. And in that respect, the Bukhar, by doing mitzvah spidyan, remains with, with what is good about the Bechor, which is being the foundation of the family and caring and loving those who come after, as opposed to the Bechor who is narcissistic and, and spiteful to everybody who comes after. Right? So you have to kind of give that self away. And sometimes it's a poor donkey that just can't pull that trick off, you know. Don't leave him much choice. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, as the first parsha, you know, basically just says that it's mine. It's Elihu. The second parsha actually, in graphic description, says you're going to have a an arifa. You're going to have a zvicha, and I think that probably underscores to the bechor the tightrope he needs to walk. You see those animals? <laughs> okay. Those animals, that's the idea of a Bukhar, the tafkid of a Bukhar. And as I said, I was trying to say, sometimes the pidyon is an indicator that even before this, you were way beyond. I brought you down. And of course, it went even further after the eagle. Flying relationship between Chachma and Malchus. The Zohar says that Abba Yosad Barato, the father establishes the daughter. And for that reason... I mean, you wouldn't imagine that there could ever be any kind of negative energy from Chochma. It's all chesed. But the truth is that, that Chochma does have some issues with itself, especially as you go above the world of Atzilus and you begin to think about you know, things having to do with the Shvira and whatever, where, where Chochma is, seems to be the thing that is, that is Nishbar. So the Shvira of Chochma, that, that breakdown of, of order that happens when you know, the Bechor breaks through, that filters down to Malchus and gives Malchus her dark aspect, her, her ability to, let's say, fall out of Atzilus into Brigitzirasiya, which is also her big element of Tikkun, because now since she's falling out of falling out of uh, Atzilus, there's something for her to do in Brigitzirasiya. So the Indian of Miatayareach also comes, you know, comes from that basic dynamic. So in the Tefillin Shel Rabbeinu Tam, when you bring Malchus up to the Madrega of Bina, then you're really being talking the whole system of the Oilemus. And that's why, you know, Rabbeinu Tam Tefillin are very Olam Haba, they're very Geula oriented, you know, Rabbeinu Tam Tefillin. Masha'en Ken Rashi is much more, shall we say, Olam Hazeh oriented. Okay, because you have you have Malchus in the in the most vulnerable position at, at the outside of the Seder, where she has the capacity to fall into Brigitzirasia, and then you know we have to struggle to, to lift her up, and we have to struggle with ourselves. So it's much more the you know the the process of history and the process of Tikkun that is reflected in Tefillin of Rashi, kind of like this absolute post-redemption, post-Mashiach state, which you have in, in Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. You know, many people will say, well, if you don't know anything about Kabbalah, so you're just going to assume, you know, Rashi, Tefillin are the ones, especially as the Beis Yosef, the Yogan Shulchan Aruch, says that you should only wear two pairs of Tefillin if you're Mefursim, Rechassidus, and you're a Shamayim. But the Vilna Gon, who obviously was not just a Mesnaget Tachsidus, but was a Kabbalist extraordinaire, probably in his time, one of the more perceptive interpreters and really complete bylaws over all Zoharic literature is Perushan Safradit's Nyusa. And we know what it's, it has spawned. And yet the Gon is, is quite clear from Maiserav and other places that one uh, should not wear Tefillin or Benutan. One pair of Tefillin per head. Right. And you should wear Rashi Tefillin. And it might be. I'm thinking, despite the fact that he understood the Kabbalistic basis of Rabbeinu Tam, maybe he felt that you can't jump the gun. You know, there's, even though you know his students felt that we can bring the Gula Kima Kima, 
But the Gon himself said, we're not there yet. Maybe we don't know what the Gon would have said, be Moshe Mashiach, or, or as, it's, as whatever is happening. But that's why he was this very strong advocate. Kabbalist he was, but he felt that trying to sort of like live within a period that is not the period that we are experiencing is not useful. It, it leads to a dissonance. Counterproductive. I understand that. I mean, you can, you know, how would you say, or, you know, about, about all sorts of realities that you're not there. And, and most of the time that has a bad influence. It has a bad influence, you know, because you, when, you're, when you're not in touch with the real world and you're off in la-la land. So, so I want to say it's really a piece of the Gon's Hisnagdus to Hasidus. The idea of one pair of tefillin, it isn't just who do you think you are, you're not holy enough, and it's Yehura for you because you don't know anything about learning yet and you think you're a Kabbalist. Even if you were a Kabbalist, he felt that this was not where to go. You have to say that according to the Goyen, because the Goyen knew it very, very well exactly anything that you and I could possibly have talked about tonight. Okay, the, you know, the Goyen was way, way, way ahead of right. that. His general attitude, by the way, is, also, is always that you have to be placed halacha according to Kali halacha to leave Kabbalah out of it. Kabbalah can teach you how to be machavin. It can't teach you what to do. And that's, that's the Goyen's attitude. And that's an attitude which I have to admit I hardly agree with. I mean, I, I think that there's way too much from what I see around me over here in Eretz Yisrael, there's may, way too much influence of Kabbalah Zachan on the practice of halacha. You don't know what you're thinking about. You don't know what you think you're thinking about. And you're, you're, going, you're doing this, you're doing that. And you're, saying, you know, you're saying Yishlem Yichud, and you have no idea what's coming, what the words are that are coming well, out of your well, mouth. Well, let's talk about what I think is one of the most apparent contradictions or at least influences of Kabbalah upon practical halacha, which is Tzvillin on Chalamoid where, you know, the, the Beis Yosef pretty much says that he would have thrown in the towel, I mean, he would have gone with the Rosh, had it not been for the Hizgawas HaZohar, had it not been for those strong statements, his assertion that had these great men like the Rosh and others seen the Zohar, they would have realized that the interpretation in the Talmud follows that approach. And when the Gon directs people not to wear tefillin on Chalamoid based on the Hagos Agro and the Maiserav, it's because he feels that the sources do not justify the Rush's approach. The sources about what an os is and whether Chalamoid is indeed an os are not clear. And he says the Makoros don't justify it. So it's not just that I decided to kowtow to the Hisgalos of the Zohar. I knew the Zohar, but I'm also independent about how I look at the sources. Yes, the Zohar is there whispering somewhat in my ear, but I actually see from the Zohar the accuracy of the Nigla sources. And therefore, those sources do not say Chalamoed, yes. Everybody knows, okay, you cannot compare the editorial process, the Shaklavataria, the extreme clarification of every sugi in Shas that was done in Shas to anything that is in the Zoyer. The Zoyer might be Das of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi or, or other Chachamim, fine, but never went through the Nahar Dinur of learning by thousands and thousands of Talmidi Chachamim, Matsumim, you know, over, over the years. It just never went through that. So to go take a book, however profound it might be in terms of its Kavanas, and use it to overturn the precedent of halacha. The Gra thought this was very, very misguided. Right, right, but 
Here he believed it aligned in his heart. He believed that the Zoaric interpretation aligned with the Nigla sources. That may be. I'm not that up on the, on the sugi. At least that's the way he describes it. He says the Yesh Omrim, which is the Ramah quoting the Rosh, doesn't have a strong mocker in the Gemara. As opposed to the impression you get from the Beis Yosef, which is, well, you could shoehorn it into the Gemara, and had these Rishonim seen the Zohar, which is clearly a book in the Beis Yosef's mind that is contemporaneous with the Talmud, they would have thrown the towel in and said, okay, yeah, we're going to go with the Zohar, because this way we can match the Zohar and the Gemara. I think the Gon's subtle distinction with the Beis Yosef here is important, because I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have shoehorned it. What I'm saying is I don't think the Rush has enough proof behind his reading, and therefore the Zohar and the Gemara actually line up together. So I'm actually trying to strengthen your point even over here. What's interesting, of course, is, is that what did the Gon do in Vilna itself? Obviously, everybody in Vilna was wearing Tulum on Chalamoid, in the city itself. Undeniably. And there's nobody in Eretz Yisrael that wears Tefillin on Chalamoid. It just doesn't exist. Except for like, you know, American yeshiva bachrim that got to go hide in some closet or something. You know? Well, it was just interesting. Again, the Gon students, uh, as Rav Sternbach points out, found a sort of um, a ghost town of Ashkenazic life in many cities in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, they felt that they were able to establish, to plant the flag of Minagagro, which didn't exist anywhere else except in the Gon's you know, theoretical world. It's really fascinating. All right, I, I think we've given a little bit of a, an overview of the Machlokas Rashi Rabbeinu Tam. We sort of hinted to where the Shemusha Rabba is coming from. Do you want to at least comment about Mincha? Okay, I will comment very, very briefly. So, you got to understand that Zeranpin has two sets of minds, minds that come from Bina and minds that come from Chachma. And there's always two sets simultaneously involved in the development of Zeranpin. That's why Zeranpin is called the Bechor, because he has Pishnayim. He has double, a double portion. Now, the Tefillin of Rashi are Mochin de Bina, and Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam are Mochin de Chochma, Mochin de Abba. And An Shacharis, which is a very great moment of Chasodim, so the, the idea is, is that Zeranpin receives completely both sets of Mochin, and therefore the Yichud is a very high level of, of Chesed and love and bliss and it's a Yichud of Yaakov and Rachel, but that's, the, of course, you know, exactly unpacking that's going to be a, a, a long story. Masha'en Kain, when you get to Mincha, there's actually histalkus hamoichin. You know, Mincha is the time when things disappear, when things begin to go away. It's ka'alois ha-mincha, right? So it's a time of hiskabru sadinim. There's something that's departing. Kind of like Yom Kippur after Ni'ilah, where, where you, know, you blow shayfer because of, of, of histalkus ha-shechina. So... At that moment, Zeranpin doesn't have Mochin of Abba, at least Lechor or not, and he has less than the complete set of Mochin of Ima. Now, at that point, something strange happens, and despite that, the Ari actually advocated for Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam by themselves, 
by Mincha. And that's because in the histalkus, everything is present. It's just kind of present in a negative sort of way. So therefore, to the extent that you have tefillin, they're going to be tefillin of the higher order, not the lower order. You know, the tefillin of the lower order are basically kind of being eliminated because of what is being mistalic. But what's being mistalic is still present, and therefore the right thing to have is tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam, which is, which is Mochin of Baba. Later on, for reasons I'm not going to be able to really explain at this point, the Ari hit upon the idea of the Shimusha Rabba tefillin, which, at least according to the common understanding, that they're really tefillin of Rashi, but they're twice the size. So there's a remez to tefillin of Rashi, which is once again more oilam hazedik, you know, mochin of ima, and the presence of the transcendent mochin da'aba, which are disappearing, is now going to be made present by the fact that the tefillin are twice the size of a regular pair of tefillin. That's the idea. So I haven't you know, really been able to well explain the, the tutsdodim and mincha. Like on the one hand, mincha is, is midas adin, so therefore there isn't even complete meichin of ima, so therefore there shouldn't be tefillin of Rashi at all. There should only be tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam, which are related to the tzad histalkus, the side that is lifting off and kind of like disappearing, which is still present. You know, that's going to be the higher tefillin that are therefore still present. Masha'enken, after, after a while, he came to the opposite conclusion that really the meichin which are connected to Olam Hazeh are still the ones that you should be wearing for as long as Tfilat Mincha is happening, because those are the Malchin of Ima, which is the Malchin that are really there. And what is Malchin Da'aba, which is disappearing, that should be hinted to by the extra size of Shimusha Rabba Tfilat. But these are obviously uh, Inyonim Nisgovim, but I think what's important to know is that it isn't just a robotic, slavish adherence to, well, this is the way we're supposed to be doing it. I think that it's important to know that behind all these directives are really ideas and ways, as I started today's discussion, where this 13-year-old boy, this 12-year-old boy, who is given this gift with such reverence, you grow into it your whole life. Uh, I think Shakespeare said that you know it's not every 10 years, but every seven years that you enter into sort of a different mode of life and I think you can grow through tefillin as well. That tefillin, you get them in this hallowed sense, and you can spend your life learning about that. And I have this wonderful idea in my head. You know, one of the the svarim that I learned that I spend so much time on. Uh, someone said to me, "You're going to marry a descendant of Yisrael Lipschitz, Tveris Yisrael, since I spend so much time on his hakdamas and kachim and taras." And his droshes and things. And I was enamored of it when I was uh, you know, a high school kid. But it meant a lot to me when I read in the Hakdoma to the Tveris Yisrael how he had Davin Shachris and how he was nostalgic into the, you know, how he passed away wearing his tefillin, keeping his tefillin on. It meant for me that at all crucial times, obviously we have eliminated this from our lives in great part by accepting what the Rishonim have said, that we can't have Kavanah, we can't have Das, we can't be Shemar HaFolchis. But the more we learn, I think the more we realize how Tefillin are such a bridge to that the next Olam. Just like in the song, you know, when the saints come marching in, 
You know, you say, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. And I think about the Tiferes Yisrael's death, and I say, <laughs> you know, Rabbi Yisrael, that's the number I want to be in. You know, Al Taman Betzachadye Moischer, Yochan and Zweig said, Ad Vileyad Bechlau. Maybe on that day, we could all wearing our tefillin. Uh, believe, we can believe in ourselves finally, yeah. Right, to the point that we could be misaleth to the darkness. All right, we'll catch you next time. Take care, everybody. And take care of your tefillin. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.